Hello, everyone. I'm Ben West. And I'm Matthew Cantrell. Welcome to... Well, I'm excited to talk about this. Magic is such an interesting... It's like prevalent in science fiction and fantasy, and a lot of media uses magic in different ways. And so I'm excited to kind of jump into this topic. It'll be fun. Yeah, 100%. And that's like... I guess we should probably like start by outlining why we each feel like magic is something worth talking about. Um, mm-hmm. So there's definitely like the case of looking at the different types of magic, just kind of at the level of interest um, to show, just sort of like explore the different ways that we um, like propel the imagination in those directions and why we employ, you know, these sort of like magical characteristics and why we're attracted to that. But like, as a phenomenon in storytelling, it's not new, um, but there mm-hmm. is a variety of application and there's some, I think, stark differences between the types of magic that are worth just kind of like understanding because we can say, quote unquote, magic. And if you don't distinguish, you know, if you if you kind of look at that without exception or nuance, that's a big bucket. And there's some yeah. big differences between like, you know, the fairy godmother and Cinderella and some of the like character a cult in um yeah. lovecraftian horror yes it's like yes oh <laughs> i don't do they do does he have magic in there or is that mostly just like it's apocalyptic a, yeah, it's creatures cos- it's cosmic horror with cosmic like entities that you get in tune with and they give you abilities based oh, okay that. straight demonic it's possession. really dark yeah like it's it's definitely crossing the line and in, into like ritualistic like dark magic in in contact with semi-demonic beings to gain power and influence mm. for the destruction of mankind exciting it's it's pretty bad well there's a, a lighter <laughs> slightly lighter El- example. eldritch magic is what they call that uh, okay good yeah, God, i know that word eldritch now. being um, and that's part of and, i think why it's valuable to engage in the subject because people right. do have those questions because they have a friend who you say like oh yeah i loved harry potter and they go harry potter is of the devil and you need to like cleanse yourself of that right now um and it's like, that's kind of a, that puts you in a really difficult place. Um, and I think whatever kind of uh, elucidation of the topic we're able to offer um, can be helpful for navigating that. Absolutely. And and so maybe it would be good to start with like what magic is not. Because yeah. as we engage media, um, or what what would be bad magic too? Like what, what are we not saying when yeah, we let's say set up some that category. we appreciate magic? And so... Um, Things that we would say, at least for me, like the way I categorize this in my mind of like bad applications of magic or a bad outlook on magic would be um, first a, a parameter I would set is, is there evil and is there good? And is it clear that one is the good and one is the bad? Mm-hmm. Uh, because there can be bad magic in media or in a book, but if it's known to be dark right. and evil magic... And the, the good guys are fighting actively against that. Then that's I like can see that good... being acceptable. Yeah. Right. And Dude, that's Narnia being one of the places where that happens. I was yeah. reading uh, the line, the witch in the wardrobe to my girls five. No, well, at the time they were four, four and two. Um, <laughs> and I'm reading it to my girls right now. Oh, right on. Well, when I, that was awesome. And then I got to Prince Caspian and I was like, yeah, Prince Caspian, I really like the movie. So this is going to be really cool. And it got a little more pg almost 13 yeah yeah Yeah. we'll make up pg 13 so there was like there's a scene where uh i forget the name but one of the dwarves and there's like a hag 
Yeah, which is they're a gonna type wake of, up the white witch. They're gonna perform like a necromancy and resurrect her from the dead using black yeah. magic. <laughs> and it's like, oh my gosh! There's also a scene where Peter decapitates someone. Uh, yeah, <laughs> but but so be be warned on that one for the little kids. That's but, in the same scene when they they burst in and stop the ritual. Oh, is it okay? Well, there mm-hmm. I'm thinking of when he uh, decapitates one of the the two. Oh, what was his name? It was something ridiculous uh that like when they have the the duel the contest at the end and they have like the the scouts oh, or not the scouts yes. the, the the guys who are like moderating whatever right. um they they all kind of break into a fight and he just goes clocks one guy's head off <laughs> yeah so yeah um but yeah i, I thought there was a werewolf with the hag and like he like cuts the werewolf's head oh, off or something yeah. like that i, would I don't be know surprised. i forget Classic i, I just re-listened to it last year but Nice. So that's one where like you've got Aslan referencing something called the deep magic and then you've got the white witch who performs this black magic um, and the competition between the two is essential to um, like the messages of the story. And and that's the thing for me is like that would be my first parameter would be okay if there is evil magic or magic that would cross the line for a Christian to be able to say that is wrong. And we would not want to promote that. Mm-hmm. If it can be a clear good versus evil and the good magic does not cross that line and the bad magic does, but the bad magic is condemned and nobody practices it who's a good person and they're trying to defeat that magic, I find that to be personally acceptable. Um, another rule I would just encourage, you know, for anyone who's considering these topics would just be like, if it goes against your conscience, like subjectively, even if objectively yeah. you can't find anything immoral about it, but personally, you're like, oh, this robs me of my peace. It messes with my heart. I don't know about this. Then just don't do it, right? Like if... Dude, and Harry Potter is absolute, can yes. absolutely be one of those things. Like I think for people who read that and are deeply troubled, there is... I would not like say to anyone like it. it's required reading. <laughs> like you don't need to read Harry Potter or even like be able to read Harry Potter to be a good person. Like there are certain things, especially like... Harry Potter is probably the most popular example because of the kind of like explicit references to witchcraft. Um, and I think upon deeper examination, it shares none of the same characteristics. In, in fact, it shared, it, it's quite different and, and is the reverse of, of that. But um, like that's, that's not to say that right. there isn't a bridge there. Um, and, and that people who are perhaps like interested in and attracted to the occult like that it would not be healthy for them to indulge in reading Harry Potter as like casual reading because it will sort of incline them towards those realities that they're already weak to. Yeah, I agree that that would potentially encourage that's the way like the possession movies are for some people where it's like, yeah, watching it, watching The Exorcist or any of those other kinds of things can be a disturbing thing for people because, you know, for some they can watch it and say, okay, like good versus evil, like this is a clear line. I'm really intrigued by this. And for others, it's like, oh, I'm too intrigued by this. And and in that, you mm. want to guard your heart, either if it disturbs you too much or if you're like too intrigued. Like a morbid like, fascination. I'm more intrigued in the bad stuff than the good stuff. Like question that because that's not a healthy yeah. thing. And that b- brings me to like the second parameter I would draw, which would be um, if it tries to subvert or mitigate God actively, then that mm. is problematic, right? Because um, this the original sin yeah. of Adam and Eve was to want to be God. So if the magic is one that 
puts in your mind, oh, we can be God by like we by gaining this yeah. power, we can overcome God. Well, I mean, that was original sin. They wanted to eat the fruit to be become gods themselves. So they would gain the power to overcome the need for God. And so when magic does that, I would have a problem you, with that. Do you, do you have any examples that you could point to for that? Let me think. Um, I wonder if um, Dr. Strange dips into that at all. You're far more versed in the kind of Marvel mythologies, but um, like he's just kind of coming to mind. I wish I could point to something specific. He just seems like the type of character that like uh, the reasons that I've kind of understood for things like divination um, to be immoral is because the knowledge of the future belongs to God. And and that is not something for men to know. And so attempts to make, uh, to come to knowledge of things belonging to God is not like the, the pride that is not becoming of kind of a, a healthy spiritual relationship. And so I like steer, steer me back if, if Dr. Strange well, is not any of those things, but he seems like he's pretty uh, well-equipped to exert dominion over things like time and space. Yeah, and, and again, I think it comes down to like the, the spirit of what's being shown there. Like if, if the spirit of what's trying to be conveyed to the individual through the magic is you have no need for God, man can be its own God. Um, if that's like the lesson that you're walking away with, that's what I would have a problem with. When it comes to Doctor Strange in the in the movies of the MCU that people are most familiar with. Now, I say this this week uh, yeah, as yeah. we're recording this. This might be dated by the time it actually gets released. But as we're recording right now, Doctor Strange in the Multiverse of Madness comes out this week. So I I oh. we might say something about Doctor Strange that we like could. this next week would be like, oh, wow, we said that. And whoops. So we'll see. I'm excited to see that movie. But yeah. in the MCU so far, magic has been de depicted as more of just like the person's like it's more like powers than it is rituals and like that stuff but in the comic books that's For what sure. it is like he does spells and he does rituals and it's he gets magic. relics that have different like and he like draws the circles with all the shapes and stuff and i don't think he actually uses pentagrams sure. but there's there's like homages to him using like those kinds of spells like <laughs> You, you would not be thing. surprised in the comic books to see Doctor Strange sitting in the middle of a circle with candles all around it, with runes, like, all around it, and, like, summoning oh, something. Sure. Like, that was the kind of, like, yeah. Whoa. So, and so it, sometimes okay. his character crosses the line, in my opinion, into the kind of magic that gets too realistic to what Christians would say is evil magic. Um, but the spirit sure. of his character, especially in the MCU, is meant to just be, like, he's someone with vast power. Um but not necessarily sure. like demonic ritual power um, or like getting it from spiritual entities and or deities yeah. or interdimensional beings. So this is, okay, this is great. Let's let's go <laughs> on a Marvel bit for a second because there's T'Challa. Um, he's got the suit. I know he, he does the, there's that thing. The heart fruit. With the flower that they do. Yeah, that's supposed to enhance, enliven do something, put them in touch with this, their Yeah, ancestors. they basically get like the strength of their their ancestors. Um like the 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 way their ancestors kind of like have fought before them and like the um their battle prowess, their strength and um agility and like things oh, they transfer wow. over. Um so it's not like their consciousness are living Sweet. inside of you, but you get an echo of what your ancestors learned put into you to strengthen you to become the successor. 
an echo of yes. eternity. Roll credits. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> That's all, folks. Uh, th- so then you've got, you know, those, there's the more uh, physical mm-hmm. so Iron Man, right? Uh, Captain America, the kind of, the, the ordinary h- heroes. And then you've got like Scarlet Witch, who's like actually a witch. Um, although I haven't seen uh, WandaVision. She's a mutant. Um, who uses magic. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So she is a witch. Okay. You're not wrong. But she she is a, she has <laughs> chaos powers. She can tap into like the chaos magic of the world through her genetic is that the same as uh, Dark Phoenix? No, Dark Phoenix. So Phoenix is actually a cosmic entity that possesses her when they go up into space. So it's a space spirit. So, <laughs> yeah. Mm. A sentient space force. Fascinating. With the power of a supernova. <laughs> all right. So, so right. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> so where I was going with all this, right, is that, like, you've got this kind of spray, this this spread of of how they can kind of engage with these supernatural realities. And so there is Marvel like blurs the line. Like you've got uh, Narnia where you're talking about magic. You've got wizard. And I mean, Tolkien is probably the, the, the most on the nose with this. It's like, you've got wizards, you've got witches, you've got people who are like magic is just kind of like a part of how people mm-hmm. live. Like that's an expectation. It's built into the fabric of the world. And then you've got, sort of like everything down the line to um, situations where basically physical abilities are kind of like the closest that you get. So like the X-Men. And it's like, that's just something they're born with. They're not tapping into anything external. Um, It's just kind of like an extension of ability. Um, And that's where, that, that would I say is like one end of the spectrum of magic where you've got kind of an evolution of humanity Not, not a true evolution, but just like you, you've made tweaks to people's physicality or to their physical or otherwise abilities. Uh, and in those situations, that's where you've got like, I, I love those kind of setups. And I think Avatar The Last Airbender is another one of those where it's just another way for right. people to interact. Um, and it, it keeps you kind of centered and focused on the show with its uniqueness. Um, and like you were saying with with Brandon Sanderson, You've got this this new this new set of logic with which to engage the character's normal relations. Right, and every one of his um, magic systems. And that's Brandon really fun. Sanderson is famous for this. He's famous for a couple things. Uh, a, he writes good books. Uh, B, he writes prolifically compared <laughs> to almost every other fantasy novelist mm-hmm. out there. He's able to produce books, solid books, um, at a rate that many can't. Um, and then he's also very famous for his hard magic systems, which are the the magic words like science mm, and you know yeah, the science yeah. so well that you know what the limitations yeah. of the character are and it presents the stakes for all the scenarios where you know they have this much of this power left and it can only do these things right and they're in this situation and you're like how on earth is this person going to survive this battle because i know the rules right and the rules will not be broken yeah run the it's like there's no surviving this yes. and then they do something that doesn't break the rules, but say, but you're like, I would have never mm. considered that. But of course, that makes so much sense. And it's like, so it's so well done because he'll he'll do that where he'll he'll introduce his magic system to you. And he never just like waves his hand and says, now the magic can do this because I want it to. It always makes sense. Yeah, the wizard did it. Well, and that's that's uh, comes down <laughs> to those two types of magic systems. It's like a spectrum where there's a soft magic system 
where the magic does what the story needs it to do. And then there's a hard magic system that works like this, where it's almost a science. And like, it can kind of be in the middle sometimes. And the way that I find you were just hitting on magic being a really interesting factor is when the magic represents the human will and the ability to apply that will and decisions to actions. And so some people can take the same options, the same power, and use it for evil. And some can take those, those same options and use it for good. And that's how our souls are. And so the magic is just a representation of yeah. our inward self, um, just like kind of magnified and like, well, what if my inward self can shoot fire? <laughs> like, you know, cool. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. We've all thought it before. Well, and that's another genre that does that really yeah. well is science fiction. I think that's actually kind of the, the almost the bedrock of science fiction is like proposing those scenarios where it's like, all right, it's humanity on a different planet and everybody acts this way. How does it play out? And you just sort of like distance yourself enough from the kind of mundanity of day-to-day life to be able to look at things from a new perspective because you're able to see kind of with unclouded eyes um, or, or at least more more closely what what the justice, you know, in each or, or like the character relations and, and the, the moral oughts uh, and the ethics of things. Um, yeah much more clearly and that i think that's what makes magic in media a very compelling element whether it's in a fantasy series or science fiction and it's just the science is the magic if you will um but it's the same kind of thing it's like what if science could just do this thing um it's it's very similar to like what if we could just magically do this thing and um you know it to varying degrees there are several science fiction things i can think of that basically just use science as magic it's like yeah, you're not trying to do right. science right now. And I'm okay with that. Um, yeah. And so that's a, um, I think it, it, that's my favorite way that magic can be told is when it represents the human person and the human will and the struggle of good and evil in a person. And so, because then you can be given mm-hmm. the same resources and based off of your decisions can make compelling decisions with that. Um, so sometimes in media, there is like the, the good magic and the bad magic and the bad magic is bad magic and the good magic is good magic. It's well-defined. I like that. Um, and I don't find that, I find that like the least problematic from a Christian perspective is when you have the good and the evil and they're very well cut and there's no crossover. The villain's a villain, the hero's a hero and they fight and the good conquers like, sure. Um, and that's good. And I agree with that. Um, but it, it, can sometimes be compelling as well to have some of these other facets where the magic is amoral and the people use it either immorally or morally um i think that's as good and i think it's really compelling in stories when when you can see that you're like ooh, oh i never would have wanted to use that power that way like the family you mentioned in the book that you're reading where it's like oh they can unmake a rat that's disturbing like, can they unmake people? <laughs> like, that's my first thought is like, oh, oh that's yeah. disturbing beyond belief. Like, that's awful. Yep. And when someone has yep. that kind of power, how do you be a moral person when you have, like, um, I forget what thing it was. There was a media I was watching at one point where the good guy had the ability to mind control people. And it's like, that is a very Ooh. evil ability. Like you can easily yeah. be a villain with yeah. oh it's uh, a manga called My Hero Academia. There's a guy that if he gets them to talk to him, oh, okay. he can control them. But he wants to be a hero and not a villain. Whoa. And it's a very villainous kind of power. Um, but he wants to be a hero. Gosh. And it's like 
okay, wait a minute. How are you going to use that in a moral way? And it's like, oh, this person is scared and they're in a fire and I need them to just do what they need to do and not freak out. Um, I'm going mm. to get them to talk to me and then I'm going to t tell them exactly how to get through the, the fire without hurting themselves where they would have been afraid. And I saved this little kid's life because I mind controlled them and remote controlled them out of the building in a safe way. It's like, oh, interesting. <laughs> so like, it's it's kind of fun when you turn those things on their yeah. head. And that that does sometimes get close to crossing a line. Um, like I think of Hellboy. I don't know sure. if you know about Hellboy. Oh, I do. What what part that, of Hellboy? Well, so who he is, right? He's a demon, a demon okay. from yeah. hell who comes it's, up to earth and is raised yep. to be a hero yep. and to be a good person and to yeah. be everything that hell and is he's always not. fighting that. Like that's why he's... Right. <laughs> so, of course, in Christianity, we don't believe that that's possible, right? But um, but in this story, suspends belief. It redefines what hell is, um, and by redefining that, yep. it it makes it permissible for like, yeah, this person can actually choose good, even though he's inherently by its nature an evil creature. Can with free choice he, he choose good? And I think like if you boil that down to human experience, like if somebody comes from an evil quote unquote situation. And they're they're abused and they're made to be bad. Can they still be good? And I think those are some of the most compelling stories is when a villainous person Dude. becomes a hero when they should have been a villain or could have been a villain. Oh my gosh, absolutely. Do you remind me the name of the saint who was a satanic priest? Oh gosh. And then converted and became yeah, a Catholic priest. I'm I'm gonna look Do you it know up. This? Oh, oh yes, I know this story very well. Well, he I mean, like that's that's exactly that. And I think that that was just sort of like a real life example that came to mind that was like he had like talk about making the full circle like he he kind of trekked across <laughs> everything there was to trek across in order to make it back to heaven um bartolo longo yep he was that's right i was gonna say charles Longo. yep but so he was born in else. 1841 died in 1926 and he was indeed a he was an italian lawyer who became a satanic um, priest, and then he returned to the Catholic faith and became a third order Dominican. Gosh, that's awesome. Well, there was one thing that I wanted to jump back to real quick, which was uh, you mentioned uh, the desire to uh, overcome the need for God. Uh, and that immediately brought me back to yeah. the Little Alchemist Brotherhood, which uh, ends with the... This is, I think, the only place where I've seen this happen because... Um, it like explicitly <laughs> names God um, in in it, uh, but then it also does the weirdest thing where the character it achieves enough power to swallow God, and then become like acquires his divine power. Is am I am I remembering um, that right? There's the yeah, homunculus. There's father who who's are, like the high homunculus, and he takes. Yes. Yeah, he takes God's power. Or he like takes the ability, yeah, to just like yeah. over like to control souls. I think I'd have to go back and look at it because I know that they encounter the kind of God. I think, um, but but yeah, like in the beginning of the series, he like basically says, "I don't believe in God." Like the first like big encounter is with this girl who's like a religious girl, and they encounter this like this right. man who's saying he's a priest and like in tune with God, and he's not. Um, and so this girl, yeah, oh, yeah. that was the first and episode. He, like, basically, yeah. like declares that he's an atheist. Um. And then by the end of the series, he's met God. <laughs> like, and he's like, huh, 
So, in, and throughout the series, like religion and God get kind of referenced at different points. Um, but it's a, yeah. it's an interesting facet of an atheistic character who eventually encounters God and is like, oh, hi, <laughs> didn't see you there. <laughs> <laughs> right. That would be, that makes me really want to go back and rewatch the series just to kind of like examine it on this mm. kind of moral ethical dimension that, that we're talking about because the alchemy that they use, I'm trying to remember if it's at all connected to the demonic. Because I know the first scene where they, they're trying to resurrect their mother is horrible and so disturbing on, mm -hmm. on multiple levels. And it, it it's very much like a, like, I, I guess part of it is that they're drawing the circles, right? And that that is very reminiscent of a sort of, I, I want to say satanic like practice, the pentagram. I'm, not, I'm not actually sure, or thing, things like it. Um, that it's at least meant to be evoke that. that yeah, uh, there is a little bit of that. Like, so they, the show opens with their mother has died, their father abandoned them, and their mother was everything to them. And she dies. And they've been studying this magic, this alchemy, which is um, the symbols that they draw. The, the, there are ley lines of magic that go through the earth. Um, and like, so the power runs mm -hmm. through the mm -hmm. earth. And then you can buy Right. Yep, and by drawing a circle, it. you're able to tap into those ley lines of power and manipulate them in a way that you want to. Um, so it's not actually meant to be like yeah. a symbol for like Satan or anything like that, but it does kind of have the, the drawing. Sure. Now, so it starts with there's this circle that one of the rules of alchemy is not to try and bring people back. Yeah. To life, that you cannot control life and death. Don't do that. Um, and it's interesting because like the Philosopher's Stone um, legend that goes far back of what alchemy is. Like the idea was you could use this stone to like, r like give life and, and have power of life over life and death. Um, and so it starts the kind of the premise of this series is, okay, there's this world where alchemy is possible and the main characters are going to kind of like tap into the lesson of the oldest alchemy story out there, which is we're going to try and save a loved one and bring them back to life. We're going to resurrect our mom. And they yeah. put, yeah. And, and he, well. they memorize all of the, the uh, chemical things that are needed for a human body to exist. And then they put it into like, okay, we've got enough carbon. We've got enough like nitrogen. We've got all these different things that these are the components that could create a human life. And they put it all in the middle of the circle and they draw the circle and they are going to be able to recreate their mom and bring her soul back into her body. And they go to do this, you know, ritual and all alchemy is it requires as much as you expect to gain. It requires that much from you. Um, the uh, the yeah. law of uh, equivocal exchange is what it's called. Um, and so they try to resurrect their mom and it does not go well. And um, so no, Alphonse's body gets eviscerated and his soul is like transferring into the afterlife and he's able to use the blood that comes from the stump of his right arm and his left arm or his left leg that are uh, the, uh, uh yeah what's his so, Al Elric. so there's alphonse uh, and there's edward Ed alphonse the younger brother his body is totally taken and then gone as yeah. um edward's body is being consumed his his right arm is gone and his left arm left leg or i might be getting those mixed up are gone and he takes the blood from his stump and yeah. he's able to draw a symbol inside of a suit of armor to bind his brother's soul to the suit of armor so he won't lose his brother. And then 
he yeah uh in order to do that he has to sacrifice his his other limb that's what it is so he loses his leg and he sacrifices his arm to keep his brother but now he has a metal arm and a metal leg and his brother is a suit of armor and they have to atone for the sin that they committed of trying to do this um and their goal is not to bring their mom back to life anymore they've learned their lesson but their new goal is to try and get Alphonse's body back and to get their arm and right. leg back and to become normal again. And that's their story arc mm-hmm. is to to try and atone for their so sin begins of our trying to control life. And uh, there's this horrifying scene where you see what was in the pot in the middle. Like it, yeah. it looks kind of like the mom, but it's so wrong. It's not a human. It's like this long yeah. neck and this like hunk of flesh. And it like breathes out like you know you know their name or something like that it's just super creepy it's like this yeah. was evil this was wrong and they were told it was wrong and you know it it defines them as characters moving forward um and especially in Absolutely. brotherhood in the other one they're still trying to get their mom back but in like the original story they never try again they recognize what they did was wrong and they're atoning and i think that's a really interesting factor and the villains that they encounter along that journey of atonement are literally manifestations of the right. seven deadly sins. Right. <laughs> there's a lot that uh, you can take. That's yeah. There's a lot you can this. take just like allegorically from the story to learn about yourself. Where it's like, it like yeah, all of us are going to die, and all of us have sinned, and we have to atone for that sin, but we cannot do it ourselves. It is only by, you know, God that we can truly find forgiveness for the sins that we've committed because they realize like, I cannot earn forgiveness for what I did. Um, well, that's, I wonder uh, that part of the reason I want to rewatch it is because I wonder where that lands, because unless you're saying like, you know, you, you have sinned and now you can correct it. Um, and that's kind of where that ends. Um, that kind of leaves out the essential component of Jesus. Um, and the saving work that he performed and, and how any meritorious acts that we perform are kind of done in and right. through and And that's by the him. thing is like <laughs> these metaphors or allegories you can get from media are never going to be theologically perfect and they aren't meant to be. Right. Right. Like the full um, picture. And, and so that's part of what yeah. we do is like, that's part of the theory of this entire show is when you're watching media, how can you apply your faith to it and apply it to your faith and vice versa? Yeah. So like. Even if you're watching Full Metal or another show like that, where of course it's not theologically like full on accurate, but you can learn about, well, how am I overcoming, you know, lust or overcoming yeah. pride in my life? And when you see the way that this particular form of media depicts pride or or greed or lust and how they defeat and destroy those characters, is there a correlation there? And if there is, how can you learn from that? Um and like for my, one of my favorites, the way that they destroy lust in that series is he literally, yeah, it's fire, fire. and he literally has <laughs> to like burn away his own flesh at one point to seal the wound yeah. that was inflicted on him by lust in order to come back and defeat her. And like, like deni- oh, yeah. Yeah. He has so to denial cauterize. of self and like mortification of the flesh yep. is what leads him to overcome lust. Oh, and he, um, and it's like, that's true. Like denial of my desires. And mortification of my flesh so that I don't give in to the desires of my flesh is how you overcome lust. Like, that's very helpful. And it's, like, clear, but it's also kind of like, wow, I get to see this manifested in an art form. Um, you yeah, get to you actually get watch him burn. But it, it, <laughs> yeah. 
And I oh gosh, even beyond that, what I remember is like he had lot like Colonel Mustang, the character who defeats List, has like on his glove is the yeah, um, the, the symbol the, for him to be able the, to use his the alchemical. circle, <laughs> the alchemical yeah thing to, for to summon his fire, and he does yeah. it by snapping, which is super fun. Uh, but then like he loses his glove in yeah. his initial confrontation with Les. And so he has to like carve into his skin the the uh yeah. the ring, the the symbols, so that he can, you know, get his firepower back. Um and just he will not quit. Uh like you were saying, he had to sort of like cauterize the wound that she had given him. Carves it into his flesh. <laughs> and he's carves it into his flesh and then burns her. And and that was the other thing was like the homunculi are like in a it's super weird how they do it, but uh, they're basically like bodies composed somehow by amalgamating like souls and like the more souls. So each they of them have, has the a philosopher's stone inside of them, and a philosopher's stone is yes, made up of the right. souls that were captured through a sacrifice. It's awful. So it's like yeah. all the souls in this particular radius of this the biggest city on earth um, are sacrificed to make <laughs> philosopher's stones. Um, so this guy can amass power. And that's the high homunculus father who, like, you know, he amasses his power by sacrificing an entire city's worth of people, of millions of people. And then he splits yeah. those souls off into smaller philosopher's stones and makes up his his seven deadly sins. Okay, so the one with the religious leader was, I think, the second episode. Because I believe the first episode was one where they're trying to stop someone who was actually trying to perform yeah, that you're in right. the city. Yeah, you're right. You're um, right. Yep. And, and that w- they were unsuccessful and you didn't know what they were doing at that point. But then it kind of comes mm-hmm. back again at the end um, as like, oh, shoot, where they're, they're basically drawing an alchemical circle over the right, radius the biggest of the city entire on Earth. city. Yeah. And so everyone. You're right. Yeah. And then they get sent Good on that stuff. mission. That's right. Interesting. Yeah. yeah. I mean, all sorts of different Man. media forms that talk about magic and have these different rules. And, and I just find it so compelling that like you can you can tell great stories yeah. when you can take the the reality of our lives and you can kind of highlight them or even just like tell a story in a deeper way empowering these things where it's like okay all of us struggle in these ways let's make that struggle manifest in these particular avenues of magic so that we can kind of talk about that problem um yeah well and that's i mean a secondary benefit is like the conversation (laughs) that we're having now so i think on the on the first like the first point of impact is the storyteller tells the story and then that story is communicated to someone and so in viewing that story things are imparted to them like they're they're processing and engaging with the story they're screening it for for truth and their their understanding of the world um and so there's like a communication happening there but then you have a conversation with someone else where you're further testing that information to draw what is true and good and beautiful from it. And so one of the benefits of these things, like the ubiquity of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and how you can talk to pretty much anybody about like, oh yeah, so Thor, huh? And they like, they know what you're talking about. And and then you can use that to start a conversation about like, man, you know, uh, this is going to be a bad example. Uh, I don't know, like his, his family dynamics, right? Like the way he engages with Loki and Odin, um, and all of that, but like you're able to examine the character's moral actions and have a conversation that you would not normally <laughs> be able to start. Like you're able to talk about things like vice and virtue and spirituality and God, because those are questions raised by the story that 
people can then just sort of like voice a curiosity about, and you can kind of use that as a launching point in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I find that so just cool and empowering and interesting to, to consider that. Yeah. Well, right on Matthew, as always, it is a phenomenal honor to speak with you on these things. I thoroughly enjoy our conversations and this is, I know a topic that is very near and dear to both of us and that we could do many, many more. And I'm sure we will do many more podcast episodes on. So thank you for joining me this evening. (laughs) Thank you for listening to Echoes of Eternity. Make sure to subscribe wherever you find your podcasts. Leave us a five-star rating if you like the show and be sure to tell us your thoughts and what you want Ben and Matthew to talk about in future episodes. Tune in next time to hear more Eternal Echoes.